it's a slippery slope and there there are dangerous frightening implications for all of the communities on twitter and and sort of the uniting thread there is truth and you can call it accuracy you can call it transparency you can call it veracity but who's telling the truth and and how are they verifying that Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my conversation with Alex from BetterOff, which is a platform for sports wagering tips and information. This is the final episode of the podcast for 2022, and we finished strong with a wide-ranging discussion that touches upon the pick-selling landscape and some of the problems within it, how Alex was able to acquire BetterOff's first 12,000 users with his $0 marketing budget, and naturally, we spend a few minutes discussing the drama at Twitter and what it all means for BetterOff. Alex was a great guest, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. On a personal note, I'd like to wish you a very happy new year and all the best in 2023. I'm excited to grow and expand the podcast in the new year. And as always, I really appreciate your support by listening, subscribing, and sharing. All right, here we are back on the Betting Startups podcast for the last episode of 2022. And for this one, I'm really excited to be joined by Alex from Better Off. Alex, we've been keeping in touch for the most part over the last year, and I've been sort of passively following the Better Off story and all of the progress. So really excited to have you here to close out what's been a really big year for this little podcast. So welcome. And how are you doing on your end today? I'm doing well, Jesse. Thanks for having me. It's been, uh, God, we haven't seen each other in person since, uh, was it SBC? Yeah, that's right. I think it was in July in Jersey at SBC, which feels like, like a lifetime ago now here in December. Yeah, everything's good. We've been real busy here. Um, obviously, you know, NFL season, NBA season, hockey, NCAA football, NCAA basketball and World Cup all sort of going on at the same time, plenty to bet on, plenty to talk about. And, you know, the platform is growing, so not a boring moment. Awesome. Well, we'll get into all that here, Alex. Uh, before we get started, though, and getting into everything related to Better Off, let's talk a little bit about yourself. And for the benefit of people listening that might not be familiar with you and your background, why don't you can just take a couple minutes here and give us a bit of an intro and maybe a sense of your journey up until the founding of Better Off? Yeah, I have kind of a windy path. My my training is as an attorney. I was a hedge fund and PE lawyer at the LA Piper. Before that, uh, I was a ski instructor for the uh, ski and snowboard schools of Aspen. Uh, and then I worked for uh, Pat Riley and uh, the Miami Heat for three years before law school and then the lawyering. And then after a couple of years at the firm, left and started a, uh, a plot hedge fund called Roto Capital that played in the uh, DFS space and then um, co-founded a sports data and analytics company called Next Take that specialized in esports. Uh, we were acquired by SportsGrid. Um, I was the GC and COO there for two years and then left to start Better Off. Cool. So you got obviously a bit of a background then within the space, obviously with the DFS hedge fund and obviously on the data side with the esports data feed that SportsGrid ended up acquiring. So you have experience in the space and you're back yet again for another round with Better Off. I'm just wondering if you could just kind of give us a little bit of a background on the origins of it, right? Like what, what were you seeing at the time that led you to sort of believe that this is something that needed to exist? And what were the sort of, I guess, tangible steps you took from sort of that moment of the idea up until the point of actually starting it? I've always been aware of the incongruence between sports betting tips on the consumer side and on the producer side, right? And the people who follow them and in, in many cases pay for their services. And the, you know, the spot to go has always been Twitter where nothing's verified. 
There's no transparency. There's no pick records. You can delete tweets. You could have multiple accounts on top of which sort of the, the now infamous Twitter algorithm that, that we know now seeks out the most objectionable or bombastic or sort of confrontational content, which when you're talking about sports betting are these insane bets. And it's always fun to talk about people hitting 12 way parlays. And, but when you're talking about actually wanting actionable advice from handicappers, pickers who know the most bombastic and the most, you know, maybe exciting are not necessarily going to be tied to those who actually know and perform. And in order to really separate those who know from those who claim to know, you need to have accountability. And the accountability needs to be based in transparency of your history and your picks. So the picks need to be immutable, the history of these, and they need to be stored somewhere. That was the, the jumping off point for Better Off, right? Building a community platform where transparency and accountability is what separated people rather than, you know, how good they were at getting the community riled up about their picks. I have a, a friend in particular who I tracked over a season tracking the University of Akron football, and he won at over a 57% rate with an ROI of over 65%. And sort of that proved it out that there are individuals out there who have expertise in picking in certain areas, but don't have time or the money to make themselves into whatever a Twitter influencer is. But the ability to make those picks correctly and on a platform like Better Off, where it tracks it, the leaderboard is how you sell yourself. Um, you can't buy your way up there. There's no algorithm that places you there. If people want to know who the best NFL picker is or World Cup picker or University of Akron football picker, if you go and sort through the leaderboard, that's going to tell you who really knows. Um, and sort of building on that basis, that meritocracy is, is where it all started. Awesome. So let's get into it a little bit deeper then, I guess, at a product level. You talked just now a little bit about sort of the pick tracking capability, right? And uh, obviously there is a need for that and, you know, better off and, and some others out there are looking to solve that. But beyond the tr pick tracking, Alex, why don't you can just give folks listening a bit of a high concept overview of just the product overall? What is it? Who uses it? And yeah, why, why do they use it? Ultimately, what are the use cases you see for it? So better off a, a social platform, all right, at its core but dedicated to the sports wagering community. And again, built on full transparency and accountability. So what we are attacking is the signal to noise problem, right? A lot of people yelling about what they know and their win rates and their, their systems, but with somewhere between very little and no actual information to back it up. So again, Twitter, which will push sort of the most bombastic people out there doesn't necessarily push the most effective pickers out there. So because every pick is tracked and stored, what we've built is a meritocracy to allow sports bettors to separate the signal from the noise. And so for the sort of 30,000 foot way to think about it, the analog is LinkedIn and Facebook, right? LinkedIn looked at Facebook and said, this is fantastic. It's a social network. Everyone's on here. But is it built for professionals? Is it built for business people? And no, it wasn't. 
So LinkedIn decided to take all of the, the great social features, right? Liking, following, commenting, being able to link to news and basically skinned it, but added and built their product around value add features specifically for professionals. We've built something on a, a similar path, but for sports betting. And instead of looking at Facebook, we're looking at Twitter and to a, a certain degree, Instagram and saying, all of the social networking in the world is there, but is it built for sports betters? No, right? So we took all of the social features. Um, and when you look at our feed, you will see that, that Twitter, Instagram, Reddit influenced our UI and our UX quite a bit, but we built out the rest of the platform with specific value add features for sports betters, whether it's odds from over a dozen books, props, pick tracking, private groups and competitions, and then of course, leaderboards that are fully sortable and dynamic. Awesome. No, that's really helpful. What's the response been from your users so far, right? Are you sort of seeing the uptake that you had hoped for with some of these features and functionalities or sort of what, what's, I guess, the overall response been from the community and what are you sort of seeing from a traction perspective and, and sort of an overall adoption perspective, Alex? So we, uh, we've been thrilled with the response. Um, we're under a year old, um, we've spent zero marketing dollars, um, and have a user base of about 12,000, um, with a very high active monthly and daily active user base. We solicit a ton of opinion from our users. We want to know what they're liking, what they're not liking. And often we're surprised, even though we are, we are our user base, right? So for instance, we added live pick tracking. And we knew that that was going to be a useful feature. We had no idea what it was going to do to engagement. It shot engagement through the roof because the ability to make your picks and track them live is a huge, huge value add. And so what we do, how we iterate, what we build on is determined by talking to our users and our users are passionate sports betting fans. So Everything we get back from them is useful to us in how to build out the platform further to make the user experience better for them. Awesome. I want to come back to something you said just a minute ago on the marketing side and sort of a zero dollar marketing budget, um, which led me to think about user acquisition and particularly, you know, given that you're positioning better off as sort of, uh, you know, in the space of consumer social and mobile, and it's a very crowded space, a very noisy space. You know, consumers have a lot of options out there. Um, sort of curious just how you're thinking about user acquisition. And I guess coming back to your 12,000 active users with a $0 marketing budget, how have you been able to pull that off? And sort of how are you thinking about user acquisition going forward? So it's, it's a good, good question. It's a good point, right? It is certainly a crowded space. Everyone's jumping in um, and everyone's chasing the eyeballs. Where we separate ourselves, one of the areas is that we're providing value-add features across different areas for the users, right? So if what you want is to monetize, you have the ability to sell your picks. If what you're interested is more in gaining information, you don't even have to make picks. You can be one of those people who has Instagram to look at other people's pictures, but never posts themselves, right? You can be really sort of a, a consumer entirely on the platform. The ability to compete with your friends, um, the ability to see the best odds. So for us, building out the features 
that touch all of the different areas of the sports betting community has been something that has helped us acquire users. How we've managed to do it without spending marketing money. I mean, this is our golden cohort, right? 12,000 users. These are people who at some level found us, right? These are your early adopters and they're very quick to adopt, but they're also very quick to go away if you're not providing them with what they want. So for us, sticking to our purpose, right? To our mission of providing that great user experience, but with all of the value add features that make it more than just a social network, but make it a platform built for sports betters. Awesome. And then as far as, I guess, just the business model for better off, you, you sort of alluded to a couple aspects of it, but just uh, for, you know, the avoidance of doubt, wondering if you can just quickly talk about sort of how you're monetizing the product as it is right now. So uh, we have the pro channels, right? We do a revenue share with our users, affiliate revenue, right? Anyone who's working with sports books is trying to get a piece of the affiliate revenue. We have partnerships with over a dozen sports books um, on basically any line that you can get for over a dozen different leagues. Got it's got to be close to 20 now. And then eventually, you know, there'll be advertising, but we're very somewhere between careful and hesitant. You can really ruin a user experience, especially on mobile by tossing too much advertisement at them. People don't like feeling like they're being sold stuff all the time. Um, and people specifically sports bettors aren't stupid, right? These are data people. So I don't think we'll be seeing ads on our platform for, for a while. And there will be a premium feature at some point, but that'll be connected to data. The more betting data that we have, the more that we'll be able to extrapolate takeaways about different betting trends, where the money goes, where the money should be going. Um, and that's the sort of thing that, that we eventually might put behind a paywall. But at the moment, the entire platform is free unless you want to subscribe to a certain user's pro channel. But outside of that, everything that we offer is entirely free. Awesome. You've made a reference a couple of times now just to the user community and sort of this focus on community and, and sort of dovetailing that with the Twitter experience, which I'm going to come to in a moment here. But before we get to the Twitter part specifically, Alex, just talking about community sort of in general, just curious sort of how you think about the role of community and, and maybe what do you think are some of the defining characteristics of a strong community? So... I mean, people and, and sports fans in particular want to feel a part of something, right? That's what sports is, to be part of something bigger than yourself, right? If you were watching any of these World Cup games, you know, is it Morocco who had this incredible run to the semis gets knocked out and they're showing, you know, pictures of the fans, video of the fans, they're crying, right? And it's because, you know, they probably don't know anyone on the team. They're probably not related to anyone on the team but they're part of this bigger community and it matters to them. And it's, it's great to, to be part of something bigger. And that's why social media and, and social platforms work so well with sports wagering, because you're taking something like sports that brings people together and you're allowing them to engage with like-minded people without having to be right next to them. And the best community platforms are the ones developed with a specific community in mind. Again, 
you know, LinkedIn, the, the business community for Facebook or Twitch, right? Sort of the gamer community that was on YouTube. We've developed a platform from the ground up specifically geared to the wants and needs of a vastly underserved Twitter sports betting community. And our goal is to live, to deliver what's most important, but also what's missing from that community. And that's transparency. Awesome. Well, it's a nice natural segue then into Twitter itself. So, you know, it sounds like you're positioning better off to some extent as an alternative to the sports betting community that currently exists on Twitter. Obviously, Twitter itself has been uh, in the headlines over the last number of months now. So I want to talk about a couple things related to that, Alex. I guess as you're thinking about positioning better off against Twitter, um, I'm curious to just, I guess, first of all, get your assessment on the current state of Twitter overall, what you're seeing. Again, obviously, the headlines are sort of dominant right now. But behind the headline, what are you sort of seeing out there on Twitter right now that gives you, I guess, optimism for what you guys are working on with Better Off? And yeah, just sort of what's your pulse on Twitter overall right now? Uh, I mean, that's, that's the hot topic, right? I don't think that, look, we, we may end up seeing a mass exodus from Twitter. I'm not sure that we will. Um, it's still sort of where everyone is. I don't think you have to leave Twitter to be on better off the same way you don't have to leave Facebook to be on LinkedIn, but it's a slippery slope and there, there are dangerous, frightening implications for all of the communities on Twitter and, and sort of the uniting thread there is truth and you can call it accuracy you can call it transparency you can call it veracity but who's telling the truth and and how are they verifying that now it's obviously a much more difficult task to verify truth when you're talking about politics and international affairs and all of the other stuff that goes on on twitter luckily for us it is actually a very easy task when you're talking about sports betting verifying and, and creating accountability is easy is holding people to their pick. Um, that's not something Twitter is going to be doing, right? They're not tracking picks. They're very slippery slope to just assume that the people who are talking to you are speaking the truth, especially when they're asking for your money. And while I don't pretend to know the future of Twitter short term or long, the one thing that, that I, I do feel confident in is for the sports betting community. I don't see Twitter moving anywhere toward a structure of accountability or transparency. And I guess zooming in specifically on the sports betting community aspect of Twitter and for myself, you know, I think I've been on Twitter since 2008. It says on my profile and I've been sort of following the hashtag gambling Twitter community since that time. And I've seen seen it evolve over sort of the 14 or 15 years, I guess. And it's taken, you know, a number of turns along the way. And, and, and you know, the, the, the people within the community change over time and all of that. Curious, Alex, you know, as you log on to Twitter yourself these days and maybe look within the sports betting community and some of the discourse on there, what's just your overall sentiment on what you're seeing within the gambling Twitter community specifically right now? And again, how does that, uh, I guess, give you optimism for everything you guys are doing with Better Off? Well, so we, we conducted a survey uh, recently that showed that over 55% of adult U.S. sports fans trust handicappers on Twitter either very little or not at all, um, and that more than 65% say that they'd be interested in a platform that verifies picks and results. So listen, Twitter is a great place to come together with like-minded people and for sports betting in particular, but I think gambling Twitter has had its has had its time. Um, I think that as the industry 
grows and matures in the U.S., which we've seen since since the repeal of PASPA in 2018, the community has begun and will continue to demand more, to demand more data, to demand accountability, and to have everything in one place, right? To not have to be on Twitter and then go to the different books for different lines, to go to different sites for news, to be able to use, whether it's text or discord for groups and talking within your friends, to have it all in one place on one platform. And again, to do the broken record thing, to have that platform be trustworthy, transparent, and verified. So from the gambling Twitter standpoint, I think the sports betting community is growing beyond it and asking for more than it has to offer. And that's, that's where better off feels that we are a value add across multiple areas for sports betters. Awesome. Well, we'll leave the Twitter conversation there for now. Uh, obviously, we're well into December now. There's a couple of weeks left of the regular NFL season. So just curious how it's been for better off so far and maybe what's been the most surprising thing to you or maybe your biggest learning so far this NFL season? Uh, you mean other than Geno Smith and uh, <laughs> the Jets and Giants being in playoff position? I mean, look, we we all know that the NFL is the gorilla in the room in sports betting in the United States. Um, so we're not surprised at the volume of sports wagers and uh, picks and discussion that we get centering on NFL. What's been surprising, frankly, is, is World Cup, which has been going on at exactly the same time. Um, and we, we've gotten tremendous, tremendous engagement and picks made on World Cup from the United States. The soccer audience is bigger here than we thought it was and much more engaged. The data that we draw from the NFL is that it is exactly as popular as everyone thought it was in the sports betting community. The, um, the appetite for betting on the NFL is, is endless. Awesome. I want to also quickly just talk about the fundraising journey for Better Off. I mean, obviously developing a product and a platform like you have requires resources. So wondering, Alex, if you can talk a little bit about just the background around any funding you've done for Better Off and as well, if you could talk about any sort of future funding you're planning to do maybe in the new year and just maybe sort of how you're thinking about all of that against the backdrop of a very complicated macro environment right now. Yeah. So we, I mean, look, we're, we were, we're under a year old. So our funding at this point is angel and family office and myself. I think it's important that founders have real skin in the game. If they're not willing to put up their money, um, I don't know why anyone else should be convinced to do so. But for us, it's, it's been a bootstrap journey for us, which has been great because we have passion for it. Um, and it's allowed us to focus on building for our community. As we grow, we'll obviously be doing further rounds, but at the moment it's been, uh, it's been an angel and family office funded endeavor and, and we're thrilled to be as far as we are. Awesome. You know, for yourself, having had a couple chapters within this industry prior to Better Off, now obviously full-time and all in on Better Off, you know, you have that depth <laughs> of experience within this industry and I'm curious. If you were talking to another founder of a startup that is maybe new to the betting industry, given your experience, curious if you'd have one piece of advice for them, what would that piece of advice be? You've got to have passion for it. It's such a roller coaster, right? I, you're, you're going to have days where you can't imagine doing anything else. 
and you're going to look at your friends who are in finance or any any other sort of normal person job and you're going to wonder how can you possibly do that and then you're going to have other days where you look at them and you go wow wouldn't it be nice to have a paycheck and what is wrong with me that i put myself in this position what gets you through that is passion if you don't love what you're doing if you don't love the product, if you don't love your team, and if you can't embrace the risk that is inherent with trying to build something new, with trying to disrupt something, with trying to provide something to a community, you're never going to be able to get through the, the days that come and they will come that, that make you question your decision. But if you love what you're doing, if you have passion for your journey, and if you have a great idea of why you're building what you're building, that that makes the rough days bearable and it makes the good days better than anything you can imagine. Well said, well said. It's December, which means everybody right now is looking into their crystal balls, making predictions about what to expect in the new year ahead in 2023. So I'm not going to let you get out of here without answering something around that, Alex, and especially given it's the last episode of the year, I need to get at least one prediction. So Rather than asking maybe what your biggest prediction is for the industry in the new year, I'm going to slightly spin it and ask, what's your most contrarian prediction for what we'll see within regulated online betting in 2023? Anything that you have in mind that might go a bit against the grain of what others might be thinking or saying right now? You mean other than the Jets and Giants making it in the playoffs? <laughs> other than that, um, maybe, yeah. You know, look, we have seen sort of a Derby Days gold rush approach by the sports books ever since 2018 to jump into every state that legalizes and just grab users at, at virtually any cost, right? They're spending, depending on which metrics you look at, between $270 and $375 per user because they're claiming lifetime values well over $2,000, right? So it makes sense in the long term. And I think we're going to continue to see that, right? Ohio goes live January 1st. But that seems to be the last, at least for 2023, of the big dominoes to fall, right? California overwhelmingly knocked down legalization just last month. Florida and Texas don't seem anywhere close. I think what we might see is not a slowdown of the book spending, but them throttling back a little bit because virtually all of these major books are publicly traded. And at some point, profits are going to play a role. I think what we might see in 2023 is the books start to focus more on profitability. And, and while I still don't think any of them are afraid to lose money in the short term to gain users or long-term growth, sort of that Amazon model, where if you control the user base, you're fine and, and you, can, you can scale up as much as you want. When you have shareholders to answer to, just throwing money out the door, millions and millions of dollars at a time, isn't always going to play so well. Um, so I think we might see even the larger books start to concentrate more on profitability than they have, which is to say they haven't at all, which could manifest itself in a few different ways. You might see uh, CPA affiliate deals. You might see those numbers start to drop a little bit. The, the offers that they make for users to be able to 
you know, have guaranteed bets and free bets, you might see that throttle back a little bit, even in what is going to doubtless continue as, as a red hot user acquisition industry. I think 2023 might be the beginning of where we look back and say, okay, that was the start of the books looking at the bottom line, not just the top line. Yeah. I often hear people talk about the industry in the U S in terms of baseball, right? Saying it's sort of early innings right now. And to me, it almost feels like, I guess, as we're nearing the end of this year and looking ahead and to your point, Alex, just with profitability being something that's been a little bit elusive so far, to me, it almost feels as though we're getting past the first couple innings and starting to sort of enter the, the middle innings now where, yeah, things like profitability, which has been a foreign concept, I guess, for most operators up until this point, certainly is coming into focus. And to your point, I think for those that are publicly traded entities, Shareholders are, are demanding that now perhaps more than they were before. And that, that fight for sustainability ultimately, I think, is going to be a critical piece for all of the operators next year. So I completely endorse everything you're saying there. I don't think that was necessarily contrarian or a hot take whatsoever, but we'll allow it. Um, <laughs> how, about a, uh, how about a Mets World Series? Is that contrarian? I'll take that for 2023. There we go. We'll, we'll, we'll tie that one in. There we are. Um, last question for you today, Alex, which is my standard closing question I ask all my guests. If you weren't working in sports or betting or technology or for yourself in your previous career as a lawyer or anything else you've done in a parallel universe where you were doing none of those things, what would you be doing instead? All right. The, the Rick and Morty question, what would multidimensional Alex be doing? God, I, I don't even know. Turns out I wasn't a good enough baseball player to get paid for that. So, I mean, this, this is just so much of what I'm passionate about and what I enjoy. If, if it weren't better off, I feel like it would still be something in the space. It's what I love doing. It's what I'm passionate about is trying to build new things to disrupt and to, to bring something new. And I think I'd still be in the space trying to do that. Technically, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to allow that answer, but I'll let it slide here, given that it's uh, the holiday season and uh, it's a festive spirit here today on the podcast. Okay, I would definitely, <laughs> I would definitely be, I'd be on Dancing with the Stars. That's what I'd be doing. Yeah. Love it. There I we go. Be one of the stars. I'd be like a professional dancer on Dancing with the Stars. It would be epic. It would be the worst thing you've ever seen. It would definitely be on Fox. And uh, yeah, I would be an internet disaster sensation. You'd be doing numbers for all the wrong reasons, right? I, I mean, all the wrong reasons, but it would be so right. <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, for people listening, Alex, that want to check out the Better Off platform, uh, get their hands on the product and or get in touch with yourself, how can you suggest they best go about doing those? We're in the, uh, in the Google Play Store and we're in the, the App Store. Um, so if you type in Better Off, B-E-T-T-O-R-O-F-F, -F, there we shall be. And then, you know, our website, betteroff.com, you can always email us. We're always thrilled to hear from people and, and make sure to get back to everyone. Awesome. Well, I'll drop links in the show notes to all of the places where people can check it out. But in the meantime, Alex, really want to thank you for coming on. Really excited we finally got to do this and have you on for the final episode of the year and really wishing you and the team all the best for the year ahead. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jesse. Uh, it's always fun. Mm -hmm.